Hey, we're in a series called The Road to Redemption. And what we're really trying to do is, uh, is prepare our hearts for Easter. It is kind of our, our high holy day. It is the biggest day on the Christian church calendar. Uh, it is our Super Bowl. It, it, it's just the day that, that uh, it's just different than any other day. That we, we, we set aside this day, and for, for us this year, it's really a, an entire weekend because of social distancing and all that. We're doing Friday, Saturday, and two services on Sunday. But we're setting aside this weekend that we can really feel the weight of the cross but then also feel the glory of the resurrection. If Jesus had stayed in that grave, this church would not be here today. If Jesus would have stayed in that grave, you and I, we would be dead in our sin. He would be no different than any other religious, if you will, figure that has ever lived. But the fact that on that third day, the Spirit of God came into that tomb and raised him and he walked out of his grave. He defeated death, hell, the power of sin. He set us free and he bought for us our eternal life. That is something worth celebrating, right? And and so what we're trying to do is take these few weeks leading up to Easter and really get into the Word of God and, and figure out why. why. Why was it necessary? I mean, that, that God would go to all this trouble and wrap His Son in human flesh and send Him to die for us and, and, and be crucified and, and be in that grave and then come out of that grave and then spend uh, 40 more days here on the earth and then ascend back to His Father. And, and last week we saw one of the reasons that it was necessary is because we have all... Everyone say all. We have all strayed from God. We are all harlots named Gomer. And if you have no idea what that means, I encourage you to listen to the message on our YouTube channel from last week. But we're, we're all like sheep and we've all gone astray. We've sold ourselves into sin. And that's, that's the reason that, that Easter had to happen. Easter also had to happen because religion cannot save. Religion cannot save. Religion by itself is empty. It's dead. It's powerless to change. It can't change hearts or lives. Only Jesus can do that. And today we're going to jump into a story, one of my favorite stories. It's in our Bibles. It's in Luke chapter 7. And we're going to see how powerless religion really is and how powerful relationship is to change a person's heart. Let's go Luke 7, verse 36. It says, Then one of the Pharisees asked him, the him here being Jesus, to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and he sat down to eat. So the scene for our Bible study this morning is, 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 is a banquet, a big dinner held at a Pharisee's house named Simon. A Pharisee was a religious, very, very religious person of the day. A Pharisee would have known the Old Testament scriptures very well, but then they would have added things to the scripture uh, just to make sure that they weren't breaking any of God's commandments. They would add their own traditions to the Bible. Not a good idea. Uh, and then they would attempt to live by some strict moral code. But the result is, is they became very legalistic. They became very self-righteous. They saw themselves as better than others. So this Pharisee named Simon invites Jesus to dinner. Jesus accepts. But in the midst of the dinner, an uninvited guest shows up. 
and really turns this dinner into a powerful teaching moment that is going to sharply contrast for us today uh, the difference between, again, this personal relationship with Jesus versus an empty relationship with religion. Look at verse 37. And behold, while they're, while they're eating, while they're there at this dinner, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Okay, if you can imagine that you're there at this banquet, uh, this is a little bit awkward. Right? It's a little bit strange. It's not normally something that happens. Who is this woman? Everyone in the room is thinking this. Where did she come from? Why is she here? And why is she interrupting dinner like this? Now, if you study the Gospels, the Gospels in your Bible are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you kind of lay them out side by side and you compare them, you will see that just prior to this story, Jesus had preached a message that said this in Matthew 11, verse 28. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What kind of rest was he talking about? He wasn't just talking about, wasn't just talking about a Sunday afternoon nap, but how many would say amen to a Sunday afternoon nap? Come on. But that wasn't what he was talking about. He was talking about a deeper rest than that. And remember what he says, come to me. Come to me, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So as Jesus is preaching this message, again, he's not talking about just getting, getting a little nap for your body, but something much deeper than that. And this woman is hearing this message, and he says, he says come to me, and I'm going to give you rest Not for your body, but for your soul. And then verse 30, he says, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Many Bible scholars believe this woman would have heard this message. And I believe it as well. And and as she goes home, the, the, the words that Jesus spoke are echoing inside of her heart and her mind. And, and she's hearing these words, come to me, come to me. Come to me. If you're worn out, come to me. If you're tired, come to me. If you're burdened, come to me. If sin has beat you up, you need to come to me. That's what she's hearing. And so she decides, you know what? I've got to come to him. I, I, I've got to go find him. And, and her, her heart is pierced. And, and she begins to walk the streets. And she begins to say, hey, have you seen the preacher? And they're, they're saying, there's lots of preachers. What are you talking about? And she said, no, the one who just preached that message about coming to him, about finding rest for my soul. Have you seen that preacher? And, and have you seen, some people call him a rabbi. And And people are like, oh, yeah, I know where he's at. I can tell you exactly where he's at. He's over at Simon the Pharisee's house. Uh, They're they're having a a big shindig over there. Everyone know what a shindig is? If you're not from West Virginia, a shindig is very similar to a doings. (laughs) Now you know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, all right. They're having a big doings over at Simon the Pharisee's house. And she says, do you know his address? And, and they say, oh, yeah, we know his address. And she says, well, well tell me, I, I got to go. He said, come to me. And, and they would say, oh, hold on. Whoa, whoa, hold on. Hold on. It's Simon the Pharisee's house. And there's a rabbi named Jesus there. 
you wouldn't be welcome there. You just can't, you just can't barge in there because your kind is not welcome there. And if they would have said that to her, they would have been correct. Because the Pharisees had a very, very low view of women. Especially sinful women. Some of them, get this, historians tell us that some Pharisees would even start their day with a prayer like this. Thank you God that I'm not a woman. Yikes. Can you imagine that? Start your day by saying, thank you, Lord, that I'm not a woman. How many women would like to backhand a Pharisee? I see that hand. I see that hand. I see the hands up all over the room. Right? I mean, that's how, that's how, that's how crazy that, that culture was and that religious mindset was of these Pharisees. They had a very low view of women. And in, in, I think it's hilarious that Jesus is about to teach them a huge lesson and he's going to use a woman to do it. Now, I know our culture right now is very confused about gender and gender roles. And on one hand, we're trying to erase gender. And on the other hand, we're trying to elevate gender. It's all very, very confusing. I think the world really doesn't know what we want. But if you study the ministry of Jesus, you will see that he did so much to restore the dignity and value of women, even in a culture where they often weren't valued at all. Now, that doesn't mean that he devalued men and he didn't try to erase gender, but he certainly modeled love, respect, and dignity for both men and women. And at the same time, he affirmed God's beautiful design of male and female, uniquely created but equally valued male and female. Can you say amen today? All right. So... All the ladies said, thank you, Jesus. All the men said, thank you, Jesus. I got three daughters. I'm thankful for them. So Jesus is at a dinner. This religious guy named Simon, um, he's the Pharisee of the day. They would have been at that time, they would have had a very low table. They would not be sitting at chairs. They would be reclining, laying down probably on a, a, like a thick cushion. And they would be reclining toward the table. Their feet would be away from the table. And here comes this uninvited, sinful woman. And she walks in and she's standing behind his feet. The table's over there. She's back here. And as she's standing there just looking at Jesus, she remembers the words that he spoke, the sermon that he preached. Come to me. If you're heavy laden, come to me. If your soul needs rest in tears begin to fall down her face and hit his feet. And they begin to mix with the dirt and the dust that would have collected on his walk there. Now, as a good host, Simon should have had someone wash Jesus' feet when he got there. That was customary. Or at the very least, he should have provided uh, some water in a towel. But he, he, didn't, he didn't do that. Jesus couldn't even wash his own feet. And so as her tears mixed with the dust on Jesus' feet, I don't know, I'm just, I'm assuming that as this is happening, she's looking down and she's, she's realizing that she's making a mess on his feet. And because the dust is kind of turning to mud and so she's probably embarrassed 
and she doesn't really have anything to dry his feet with. And so the, the scripture says that she, she gets down uh, on, on the floor and she begins to dry his feet with her hair. Doesn't have a towel. She's using her hair, and as she touches him, something happens, and her embarrassment turns to worship, and she begins to kiss the very feet of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine this scene? Now, I I tell you, I've seen this transformation happen. Many, many times where embarrassment turns to worship. I remember uh, Patty and I, in our first experiences of coming to a church that worships God uh, like we do here at Crossroads. With the singing and the lifting of hands. And sometimes you'll see someone bow or kneel or someone will dance or some of us will attempt to dance. uh, Or maybe we'll lift up a shout. We're exuberant and we give that praise. Uh, Dave and Debbie, I remember one of some of the first times me and Patty saw that. We looked around and we thought, those people are crazy. I would be so embarrassed to do that. In a room full of people, you will never catch me doing that. And in fact, Patty did not only sit, in, she didn't sit just in the last row. It was a storefront church. She sat up in the storefront, like the window, the display window. She was trying to get as far away from those crazy people as she could. But do you know what started happening to us as we got there? And we got in the presence of God. And and we started to experience forgiveness. We started to experience freedom from sin. And then we realized that we didn't come to church for us. We realized that church wasn't all about us. It wasn't all about me. It wasn't all about her. We began to realize that we had freedom from our past and freedom from our shame. And as those chains began to fall off of us, all of a sudden uh, tears started rolling down our cheeks. And all of a sudden our hands started going up and what we once thought was embarrassment turned to worship and I just want to tell someone this morning as you experience the love of God let the fear of man let your pride let your shame melt off of you and when you come into this place don't come here for somebody else don't come here thinking what's everybody going to think of me come here saying I have come to make much of Jesus today and if I need to lift a hand to do it I'm going to do it if I need to cry I'm going to do it I don't care what I look like I remember one night we went to another church and Patty started having a breakthrough. I'm talking about a breakthrough. The Holy Spirit came upon her. And remember, she's the one who started sitting in the window box. That's how she started her journey with the Lord. And one night we went to this church and the Holy Spirit came and fell on her. Next thing I know, I had to get my little boy Dave, me and little Dave. We had to move to another row because my wife was going crazy in her row. (laughs) Telling you, church... If you want to break through in your spiritual life, you've got to forget about yourself. Do you hear me? You've got to forget about yourself. Some of us come in here and, and we're saying, well, you know, I don't know, I'm not getting anything out of church. I mean, that was a, service was okay and, you know, they, they had music playing in the bathroom. That's kind of cool. But I didn't really get anything out of this. What did you put into it? What did you put into it? Did you come to see the crowd? Did you come to pay attention to the person next to you? Or did you wake up in the morning saying, i got to get to the feet of Jesus? 
If you want to have a vibrant spiritual life, you've got to passionately worship Him. This sinful woman, she's been looking for someone, something to take the heavy burdens from her life. And now she's found Jesus and she did not come empty handed either. When she left her home, she brought with her the most valuable thing she owned. It was an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. It's expensive. And while she's there at his feet, she takes the oil and she anoints his feet as another act of worship. Giving generosity is an act of worship. You see, normally a host would anoint a guest's head with oil, but Simon didn't do it. And I don't think this sinful woman feels worthy to do it. So she doesn't go to his head. She anoints his feet. And as she worships, the religion of Simon gets stirred up. And here's what I've learned over the years. Religious people don't like passionate worship. They don't. They look at someone and they say, well, they were just doing that for show. Yeah, they were just doing that for show. They were just trying to, 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 you know, get attention. Religious people, they don't like passionate worship because it reveals to them just how dry and dusty their own hearts are. And as she pours her heart, her love, her oil, her worship, her tears out on the feet of Jesus, Simon the Pharisee, he gets disturbed. He doesn't like it. Look what he says in verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself. He's thinking this to himself. doesn't have the audacity to speak it out. This man, Jesus, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is who's touching him. For she is a sinner. She's a sinner. Just these few thoughts of Simon thinking to himself reveals to us so much about empty religion. You see, the Bible talks about pure and undefiled religion, and it talks about that type of religion as a good thing. That that type of religion is fueled by Jesus. It starts with Jesus. It's fueled by Jesus. It produces good works in our lives. That's a fly. It's still here. I think it's the original fly. Six months now. But there's also, the Bible talks about a dry, dusty, dead religion. And you know what that does? It puffs us up with pride. It, it, it causes us to be self-righteous. Simon looked at this woman's sin and he ignored his own. Don't clap too early. Because we got resurrecting flies around here. Okay, there's been many times I thought, I got you, you devil. And next thing you know, it flies up. While she's laying there weeping... Simon is sitting there judging. Church, can I tell you that everyone has a religion? Everyone has a religion. Even those who say they don't believe in God claim to have no religion, they still have one. They do. A pastor friend of mine defines religion like this. He says religion is a set of beliefs reinforced by community that determine our direction in life. A set of beliefs reinforced by community that determine our direction in life. I think that's a great definition. And everyone has a religion like this. Do you know your political party can become a religion? A set of beliefs 
surrounded by community that determine your direction in life. Your circle of friends can become a religion. In the, in the past year, we've seen so much virtue signaling and virtue shaming. Those things are a religion. They might not be informed by God or his word, but they become a set of beliefs. Then we surround ourselves with people who believe like we do, and they determine our actions, and our decisions, our direction in life. Culture has a religion, and, and cultural religion is huge right now. So empty religion, it can happen in spiritual settings, like Simon is dealing with, but it can happen in any setting. Anytime we adopt a set of beliefs that they make us feel superior to someone else, we're in trouble. That's religion. It puffs us up and it causes me to see your sin and ignore my own sin. And this is why Easter had to happen. is because God, God could see our propensity to just get a moral code, just take the Ten Commandments or take 613 commandments like uh, the Jews did and just say, you know what, I'm going to live by these commandments and then I'm going to make myself right with God. But religion can't do that. It's empty. It's dead. It's useless. It can't change the human heart. And so Simon, watch this. he's watching this woman weep and worship. He judges her. He judges Jesus. He said, she's a sinner. And look at verse 40. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Now, I cannot imagine sitting across from Jesus the Christ and he say, David, I have something to say to you. Now, there's probably not been a word uttered since this woman came in. No one has probably said anything. You can probably just hear her crying, but Simon is sitting there judging her in his heart and mind. Jesus reads his thoughts and says, Simon, I've got something to say to you. And he says, teacher, Say it. And Jesus starts to tell a story in verse 41. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. Everyone say two. Two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they, both of them, had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon. Now he's, he's looking at the woman, but he's talking to Simon. There it is again. Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. Again, that was a custom of the day. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. Verse 45, you gave me no kiss. It was a custom. Kiss on the cheek custom of the day. We don't live in that day. Guys, don't get any weird ideas. Come on, somebody. That's a little joke, y'all. It's okay. Whatever. Whatever. You guys can kiss each other all you want. That's fine. Whatever. Just leave me out of it. All right. But this was social distancing. All right. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. Verse 46. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Listen, it wasn't that Jesus had totaled up her sin. 
and totaled up Simon's sin and weighed them against one another. He didn't do that. That wasn't Jesus' perspective. It was the perspective of this woman and Simon. This woman could clearly see she was a sinner. She was humbled by her sin. She felt the full weight of her sin. And she would have said, I owe a huge debt and I'm, I'm bankrupt. I can't pay it. But Simon, on the other hand... A good Pharisee, he was blinded by his own religious pride and he saw himself as spiritually wealthy. But Jesus says in his story, no, Simon, both debtors had nothing with which to repay. He was saying, Simon, if I was to compare your spiritual bank account with this sinful woman's spiritual bank account, the balance in both accounts is a big fat zero. Simon, she's got nothing and you've got nothing. And Simon is like, what? How can this be? Like, I know the scriptures. I live by a strict moral code. I am, I, I'm the spiritual elite around here. How could Jesus put me in the same, uh, you know, bankrupt category as this sinful woman? And again, friends, this story just reminds us that Easter is necessary because religion by itself cannot save any of us. You understand that a set of beliefs cannot change the human heart, no matter how moral they seem. This has been, we've been in, in, uh, in Garrett County, I mean, we've been here over 20 years, but Crossroads has been here uh, 14 years this, this uh, coming fall. And this is one of the, the, the biggest things that, that challenged the gospel in our area, okay? We're not, we're not dealing with a bunch of uh, cults and false religions or witchcraft. or I mean, we got some of that stuff, but it's not big around here. But he, the biggest thing that Jesus competes with in Garrett County is religion. A religion that says, I'm a good guy. I mean... I, I, I treat my neighbor well, and I, I volunteer, and, and our family's been involved in all the different social organizations, and, and we've been involved in youth sports, and, and we give money, and, and, and we, you know, we, we, we help our community, we serve. Uh, some of us, you know, maybe have been involved in politics or whatever, and, and somehow we get this idea that when we get to heaven, we're going to pull out a resume and unfold it before the throne of God, and God's going to be really, really impressed and go, Wow, your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. Friends, that's anti-gospel. That's anti-Christ. The gospel is, is we're not really good guys. We're not really good ladies. We're not. Some people say that, that Christians are hypocrites. But I want to tell you, if you're a true Christian, you can't be a hypocrite. Because Christianity starts with admitting that we're nothing without Jesus. There's nothing good in us. <laughs> Listen, there are people listening this morning, and, and maybe they're listening by the radio or, or they're online today, and they've been thinking about coming to church, but they feel like this uninvited woman. They feel like, you know what, I'm sinful. I don't belong there with those church people. And their fear of judgment and, 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 and the, the preconceived ideas of people have, have held them back. And they would love to be here. They would love to be a part of the family of God. But they don't feel like that they belong. And I just want to tell them this morning that, that in this room are a bunch of men and women who know that none of us belong in the family of God. We know that we're a mess without Him. Can you say amen, church? 
And if you're listening today online or on the radio, you would be more than welcome in this place next week. Don't you feel uninvited, but we are actually inviting you right now to join us next Sunday morning in person at Crossroads Church. Let them know that they would be welcome here. No matter where they've been, no matter what they've done. We're all sinners crying at the feet of Jesus. That's all we are. And we never, we never, never want to get to a place that we allow our knowledge of God or our knowledge of the Scriptures to make us feel like we are better than someone. I had an interaction with someone not long ago, and, 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 and we, were, we were talking back and forth and talking back and forth, and I thought, well, maybe we could get on the same page. But then they began to judge people, and they began to say, well, at least I'm not like so-and-so. And at least I'm not like so-and-so. And the longer they talked, the dirtier I felt. And I thought, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to end this conversation right now. Because I don't, I don't want to be around people like that. I don't want to be around people who feel like they are better than someone else. Simon knows the Old Testament. He is a scholar. And he cannot even realize that God is sitting at his table. The sinful woman, as far as we know, she knew three scriptures. And she threw herself at the feet of Jesus. She worshiped, she weeps, and she gave from three scriptures. As we look ahead to Easter, I just, I just want us to understand that we don't search this book every week just to find commandments and principles and a strict moral code so that we can, we can hold up this book and say, at least I'm not like so and so. At least I'm not like them. We don't learn this book so that we can get puffed up and feel self-righteous. Do you, you know why we, we learn this book? So we can learn about the person of our, our God. Jesus is a person. And Easter happened. He lived, died, and was resurrected so that he could have a personal relationship with each of us. If we reduce him to just a set of standards or commandments, we have lost the whole purpose of his coming. He came in person so that we could know his person. Not just principles, but that personal relationship with each of us. How do, you, how do we look at this story where in this story relationship totally trumps religion? And I think most of us could probably see ourselves as the sinful woman at some point in our walk with the Lord. But after a period of time where you learn to pray a little bit, and you learn some scriptures and you get in some Bible studies and you begin to grow and mature some, it's 
it's, it's very easy to, to move away from that desperate state of being at his feet to kind of getting a little puffed up. I'm a greeter in the church now. I lead a small group now. Oh, you need someone to pray? I'll pray. We start to get prideful. We, we start to take that relationship and, and turn it in to an empty religion. And I'm just praying that our church never does that. And I'm also praying that we never look at those around us, whether there's someone in our family or in our community or on our TVs or in our news and say, well, at least I'm not like her. At least I'm not like him. Church, if we ever get that attitude, we better watch ourselves. Pride comes before the what? The fact that we have a personal relationship with Jesus should never puff us up. It should humble us. It should make us thankful. It should make us grateful that Jesus left heaven. He was born of a woman. He lived the human life. He was betrayed. He was falsely accused. He was abandoned by his friends. He was beaten. He was tortured. He suffered. He was crucified. But then he was resurrected because empty religion cannot save.